欢迎收听 Uncover 一中人，我是本期主播 Natasha。Uncover 致力于传播全球新冠肺炎疫情期间国内外普通人的声音。在这档同名播客里，我们会以朗读的形式呈现原创或翻译的个人叙述、对话访谈与评论文章，更将围绕多元话题分享疫情期间的观察与思考。你可以在微信上搜索 Uncover 一中人找到我们，阅读所有往期文章。下面带来的是这档播客的第二期节目。两周前，我们在 Uncover 意中人的微信公众号上发布了一首题为《So Borico》的英文诗歌，同时面向读者征集的这首诗的翻译和再创作作品。之后，我们陆续收到了四份作品，译者中有两位身在上海，一位现居爱尔兰，还有一位来自葡萄牙。这期节目，我们从一首诗出发，与身在三个国家、四个城市的五位朋友进行了连线。德国哲学家西奥多·阿多诺曾写道：“奥斯维辛之后，写诗是野蛮的。现在的我们，深陷一场肆无忌惮的全人类普遍危机。面对疫情，我们需要何种语言，何种文学？诗歌是否有效？意义为何？”我们与 Soberico 的作者和译者们聊到了语言和文学在灾难中的可能性和有效性。除此之外，身在葡萄牙和爱尔兰的两位译者。也分享了两国政府和民众对疫情的反应，以及疫情期间发生在他们和家人身上的故事。下面你将听到的全部话音来自 Joyce， 他参与了这三场对话。下面你将首先听到 Soap Oracle 的作者梁晓朗读自己的作品。在这首诗中，他以洗手这一动作为起点，隐秘却也毫无保留地表达了自己对疫情的理解。接着，梁晓与身在上海的两位译者聊天，聊到了文学之美与现实罪恶之残暴之间的冲突，也谈到了在主流话语影响下。人们对所谓负能量或非理性表达的抗拒我叫梁晓，我来自成都，然后我创作了这一首《Soap Oracle》。嗯，我叫我叫三水，呃，英文名是海燕
，我来自上海，那我现在是个大四学生。我叫 Joyce， 在上海工作，然后我也算是 Uncover 的发起人，然后我也翻译了两小的这首诗。OK， 现在水来那个念一遍吧，你的意。泡沫神域，别洗了，拼命的把你的双手，会丢失你的泡沫神域。消融中预言所凝之行，虽于虚空中苏醒，凡胎之伤却冲洗虚空。赢了，是走来关于外来者无序、彻底失语的揭示。穿过我指尖碱性泡沫滑落的情欲之嘴，肿胀的皮肤上有一种神的清凉，侵蚀我自豪过的最后一丝清醒神智。不久肉身，静静的，如预言的，要去流浪的街，人期盼着体针与固守。泡沫神鱼一如既往，说是人，不知爱。我开始念了哦，别他妈拼命洗手了，会洗走肥皂之神的旨欲。先知所言，溶解中可见。生于混沌的凡人之死，将混沌逃去。战争终止了吗？迎来的不过是关于被强的人伤及惯用措辞的启示。欲知过在指尖的碱性泡沫穿梭。圣洁的凉意与皮疹对峙，肯是我引以为傲的最后一丝理智。不久之后，洗涤过后，枯枝欲出的肉体会漫步街头，并仍旧期许重大标志和顽固等待。肥皂之欲复去翻来，说着我们不善于爱。开始聊，来来来来来来，你有什么想说的吗？就是好奇，原作者 Maggie 为什么会想写这样一首诗？我当时是在一月底的时候回到了在呃成都的家里，然后一直到二月中旬的样子，一直都在写改一下这个诗歌，然后当时是一种很焦虑的状态。就是我也不想要去加工，或者是去排遣那些，嗯，不好的情绪，然后又觉得好像写出来要，嗯，好一些。那海燕，那要不就我们就先接下来就从你的那个，就是你挖的这个坑开始。我当时看到你的朋友圈，我有点印象，但是我是后来才知道。原来大家突然又把这句话拿出来说，是因为那个从日本过来的那些物资，然后加上我们这边的《长江日报》对那个诗句的一个一个一个特别酸的一个呃讥讽之后，才激发了新的一轮对奥斯维辛之后写诗是野蛮的这句话的一个解释和讨论啊什么的。聊到解释的，就是更多的涉涵说这一句话。到底是在什么样的历史背景和文学背景下面产生的？然后他也说了，就是当时，呃，也是在一个人类处于全体的危机的状况之下。但是这句话就是感觉在当下
这么使用的话，感觉是为了使用而使用吧，没有用对环境。就是一直呃，关于这个的围绕这个的一些讨论，一直让我想起另外一些相关的东西，就比如说。嗯、呃，那个林忆涵写的那个房思琪的《初恋乐园》，他其实在一个生前的一个采访里面，他有说过，他说文学有可能是，就是文学可以是巧言令色的吗？然后他说，呃，然后他甚至提出说，文学向来就是巧言令色的。然后他还有一句话说，有人说集中营是人类历史上最大规模的屠杀，但是我觉得不是，我觉得强奸强暴是人类历史上最大的屠杀。他说：“房思琪的初恋乐园其实可以用两三句话特别简单的概括，就是一个老师多年来用他的职权性侵、强奸女学生。嗯，然后如果大家去看这样一个相关的新闻，他们是不会忍心去读那些特别呃呃新的那些细节，比如说说啊，他们他们之间说了一些什么样的话。”然后他们的旅馆里面的墙纸是什么样的？他们不会去读那些细节，会觉得，嗯，这个事情本身太糟糕了，就是那些花边的东西，不应该是我去注意的。可是大家却可以忍受在小说里面去读到那些特别工笔性的、特别细节的描写，因为它特别的美。然后他就说，大家在读到这个这个故事的时候，是有审美的这种快感的，是有一种痛快的。然后这种痛快是既痛又快，你感受到的真实，你感受到的痛苦是真实的，但是你获得的审美上的愉悦也是真实的。然后反正我看到的时候，我就有种，我就特别的茅塞顿开，就觉得他用特别简单的话，把把那些特别虚头巴脑的那些哲学和人类学的那些讨论讲的特别特别的清楚。林忆涵。在书里面塑造的这个角色李国华，以及他实际上现实中的原型，也就是侵犯林一涵的这个老师，以及嗯，他在想到胡兰成其实也是这么一个人，就是这样一些相信语言，并且对语言的文、对语言和对文学掌控能力非常高的人，他们却背叛了呃中国很长的这种文学的很真诚的传统。就是他们是言不由衷的，然后他说他们的思想体系非常的畸形，但是他们思想体系非常的精美，然后就让我想到，联系到集中营其实是一样的，就是当时他们那个思想体系也是非常畸形、非常变态的，可是整个体系、整个国家的政治生活就是非常精美的一部机器，他所有的零件都是为了他所自圆其说的那个。那个理论和那个目标去服务的，所以说这边就是看到了强奸和集中营的一个联系。呃、uh, ，Edward Bertinsky 他的那个纪录片，然后纪录片里面是全球变暖，然后甚至一个垃圾场也很美。一个 mass production 就是工厂里面的那种整整齐齐的那种也很美，这个可能跟那种精致的语言也是就是可以做一个类比，对吧？我们也在讨论他这样是否就是在伦理上面是合理的。如果你去美化一个本来就很暴力、很穿透、破坏性的那样一种行为。
所以说我们在那个这个前面都加上一个定语，说是精美的嘛。啊、但是在文字本身当中还，还还还会有一个附属的，说是不精美的嘛。他那个精美不一定是那个狭义上的精美，而是就是跟现在的这种资本主义、工业文化的这种这种结合的这样一种精美。但是你提出这个问题，其实我想到的是。你刚才说，呃，就是文学里面也有很平的那种，然后我就在想说，其实可以把这个跟芳芳的日记联系在一起看，因为我觉得他的日记，你不能说是个文学作品，但是人家也好歹是个写作者，对吧？那这个也算是他的一个作品吧，可以，我们就暂时把它当做一个作品。他的作品就没有巧言令色，没有修辞，然后是非常非常。平时的，嗯，是不是？是不是我们现在能够，比如说像处在疫情期间，最合适的、最 appropriate 的，就是这样一种 language。但是，就是芳芳的日记的话，我没有读过。但是，它是本身就是为了要写给别人看的呢，还是说，就是写给大家看的？他都发表出来了，就是写给别人看。他最开始就是人家邀约他的。然后他本来说他犹豫了一下，就是有点写不出来，心情也没这个心情写。但是后来又觉得，嗯，记录一下很重要。然后呃，能让更多人了解到，也是一个挺好的事情。所以他而且也因为呃第一篇发出来之后有了很好的反响，然后读者从他的文字里面得到了一些慰藉什么的，所以他就一直到今天都还在写。但不应该就只停留在慰藉的那一个层面吧？我觉得还有很多 timeless 的东西需要，就是在一场一场疫情里面被反射出来。如果就是咱们很平时的去记录那个东西，呃，我觉得当然当然是可以的。而且现在咱们有了那么多，就是很多个人叙述，去讲述自己的故事。对于写作者本身来说，当然可以就是发泄，但是有很多很多。就是嗯，像很永恒的那样一些话题，应该就在一场危机当中被更加暴露出来。我其实还在想的一个是，为什么大家现在对负能量这个东西这么的恐惧呀？我就是觉得这是一个特别特别危险的一个事情，就是大家无法接受听上去是那种非理性的或者愤怒的或者是悲愤的这种表达了。就是这种正能量的这种东西，已经变成了一个常态，就是它已经不是一个一个传统意义上的意识形态的东西，它就是在我们生活当中无处不在的，然后被所有人所习惯的那些东西。嗯，然后呃，所以说，当有一个跟那个不太一样的东西出来的时候，就是有一些人就特别的。呃，警惕。我觉得，就是如果我自己初中和高中的时候，确实会产生这样的想法，就是呃，那种害怕负能量，而就是好像只能选择正能量这种视角。因为但凡他自己身上出现了一些和这些正能量不相似的东西，他就会觉得自己是不对的。然后我觉得
，他有这把尺去衡量别人和外界的话，他肯定也是这样衡量自己，才可以会保持自己的认知嘛。所以觉得其实是一个比较，拿成长来说的话，是一个比较变态的成长过程嘛，因为。只能够承认自己身上的一部分，而不是另一部分，所以就是很有可能，就是说一个人他处在一个非常消极的环境里面，但是同时他的大环境又是一个假装积极的环境里面，就是他他为了去顺从那个大环境的积极，就必须否认自己真实经历的那种消极，那他肯定是更加消极的。我们的第三位译者名字叫金，来自广州，在爱尔兰国立大学获得人类学博士学位。二零一七年年初开始，在圣三一大学文学翻译中心担任助理讲师。在上周末的连线中，他先朗诵了自己的翻译《香皂天启》，分享了对原诗的理解。香皂天起，再不要如此竭尽全力洗手，你会失去你的香皂天起。消融的神域凝固成型，凡人生于混沌，死未洗去混沌。战争结束了，降下的只是概率、伤和禁闭的话语组成的天起。欲望之罪沿我指尖的碱性泡沫滑下。神圣的清凉抵上我齐整的肌肤，咬去最后一缕我曾引以为傲的清醒。很快，清新的、被洁净的和被预言的人们将涌上街道，依然期待着性命攸关的神仙和固执的等待。香皂天起源源不绝的预示，我们未能好好的爱。生活进入了一个密闭的循环，洗手出现很高的一个频率，相当于是对这种生活状态的一个提示吧。这是我读到的最大的感受，但是反而是因为他引用了那句经文，但是又其实不是启示录里面的，然后我就每次看到他引用的那句经文，在想，嗯，我应该对这种事的理解完全跟他自己的初衷是没有没有关系的。我们问他对德国哲学家阿多诺那句“奥斯维辛之后写诗是野蛮的”如何理解？经由此聊到了死亡赋格。有人说这是诗人保罗·策兰与阿多诺的间接对话。对于经来说，这首诗的形式与纳粹恶行的现实形成了令人震撼的互文。我想。当时阿多诺的确是看完《死亡赋格》之后，他修正了奥斯维辛之后写诗是不可能的。他觉得这是可能的，但是他也仍然没有一个道德判断说这是好还是不好。他只是说这是可能的。我想策兰当时很多种意识形态压迫着他，当然也有很多人认为《死亡赋格》是写的过于美。
当时的社会形态并没有对纳粹行为有非常透的反思，很多时候他所在的德国和法国文学圈里，也还有一部分人认为下级军官只不过是执行了任务，或者说是。这是战争时候的一个战争行为，它不是一个可以用逻辑去分析的行为。像在英国的时候，他们为了保护主力部队跟社会，也派遣了很多先遣部队去死啊，等等这些。我们现在反思过之后，主流意识形态认为这是绝对错误的东西，在当时并没有这么一清二白，所以这种非常晦暗不明的社会语境底下，自然会有很多人。对策兰施加压力，所以他后期的诗歌就转向了一种非常非常枯竭、抽象，几乎到了你需要去入禅了才能去参透和感觉到的那样的一个状态。语言使用的那种方式，也是一种对他自己的拯救也好，不得不如此也好，他已经欲辩以妄言。不可能对自己做一个有效的辩护，而且觉得脆弱不堪的时候，就用这样的语言方式给自己筑了一道高墙。至于死亡赋格本身，我觉得的确语言形式是非常好的，跟历史上发生的纳粹恶行是有一个非常好的互文的。为什么呢？你看纳粹这个恶行，他并不是很野蛮的说杀啊什么啊，他其实是有一套。有逻辑、相当严密的一套论述和哲学、嗯，所以当时甚至许多非常有名望的哲学家也会为这一套逻辑所折服。作为人，不能够去容忍觉得是不可能的这些行为背后，他却是能够在逻辑上用一套他们的语言所美化的表达的。所以，就好像这首诗。你看《死亡赋格》，如果你单看它的内容，其实是非常可怕的。烟囱里冒出来的黑烟，是人被焚烧了。死神在天上降临，带给人们末日来临一般毫无希望的一种启示，并且还把它作为你应该去接受的命运，这样的一个非常扭曲的东西，他用了一个像巴赫赋格曲那样的一个形式，很美的把它表达了出来。其实跟现实。是形成一个互文的，就是现实里面的恶行，他也仍然用一个逻辑上非常被美化的形式去表达了出来。所以，其实你看这个事情，不仅是说他的行为后果本身很可怕，而且在这个行为和恶果发生之前和之间，这一套逻辑被一个群体接受，这件事情本身也很可怕。所以，有时候大家可能也觉得诗歌是很可怕的。他的语言和形式可以这么不受限制的去把一些你很害怕在心里不敢说出来的东西就这么唱了出来，以副歌曲的形式唱了出来。所以我觉得还不是说这首诗本身有让我觉得多么折服，而是我觉得这首诗所展现的形式跟现实的那种非常紧密的对应，让我觉得既可怕又折服。如果以恶行作为主题，或者说。在经历了这么大的恶行之后的创作，你可以说是不可能的，因为在二战之后，策兰当然也写出了非常伟大的传世作品，甚至最为人所知的作品是那一部分作品。但是，就是一个诗人不可能在那样的时候再回到他最早先带着跟世界非常贴近、对人和人之间的那种
connection 仍然信任和接近的时候，能够写出来的那种诗，在战争之后就已经不可能了。今所在的爱尔兰不算是疫情重灾区，在国内媒体上很少听见相关报道。通话中，金表达了对欧洲疫情的忧虑，甚至有一种大难临头的感觉。意大利和伊朗开始爆发了，当时我就很警觉。我知道是潜意识的，我知道欧洲人不可能就为这么几例就开始待在家里，或者说封守国境，或者去做什么预防措施，他们肯定不会的。按照欧盟人员流动，反正这个事情迟早就会变糟糕，我就有这种大难临头的感觉。所以当时意大利只有二十例的时候，我就已经开始囤东西了。那个时候才是二月中旬，不仅是囤东西，就是而且我也上网开始买口罩了。但是买口罩这个事情说起来心都累，反正是从从一月底，我跟北大校友会为武汉挤口罩，跟中大校友会为呃中三一挤口罩，现在我又开始联系国内资源给爱尔兰这边挤口罩。其实爱尔兰情况也是很糟糕了，它病例没有那么多，只是因为它人口真的很少。但是如果你看人口比例的话，它其实很严重，而且医疗资源根本就是就是不够的。所以我当时大难临头的感觉，最后就一一实现了。从二月中旬开始，我还是每天非常密集的去关注新闻，现在也仍然是。但是看欧洲这边新闻，跟我关注国内的新闻是很不一样的。在国内，我是非常。关注个体的叙事，相当于我好像有一种想要把他们的生命在我自己身上心里去经历一遍那样的一种感情。那么在欧洲这边，虽然现在欧洲也是我的家乡了，但是我很大程度还是看官方报道，因为我想了解欧盟的政策，因为我对他们的政策是。不了解的，但是这些政策到后面会对我、我的工作、我的家人和我的生活影响很大，所以我现在密集的关注新闻、收集信息，是为了理解他们政策和应对的方式为什么会是这样的。这个事情到现在还没有结束，因为，嗯，意大利疫情爆发有大概一两周了，但是像在德国、法国、英国和爱尔兰非常大规模的爆发还是这几天的事情，所以政策天天变。然后我很想一直密切的跟踪，也是比较焦虑咯，就是不知道自己以后的工作生活会受到什么样的影响。这种焦虑在驱动我去关注政策，呃，那个新闻，但主要是就是政策层面。由于地理位置，爱尔兰防控疫情具备一定优势，但也存在着风险。昨天就是有两百例，然后今天就是一。百二十一。其实爱尔兰它跟欧洲大陆，毕竟它不是直接接壤嘛，它还是一个孤岛。它如果防护措施做得好的话，是有希望比欧洲大陆那边好的。像德国、法国、西班牙那些，它真的是太难了，因为它跟意大利人员流动太紧密了，不可能避免的。爱尔兰我觉得是有机会的。就看后面这一个星期、这两个星期怎么样喽。现在的话，他的医疗资源首相就是跟我们交底的时候，就是说目前呃确诊病例是五五百多人嘛。他说在三月底之前，如果能控制在一万五千人，然后按照这个病的重症比率和微重症比例，爱尔兰的资源是能够应对的，最小化减低伤亡，然后呃避免医疗资源挤兑。但是如果超出这个数字的话，嗯
，那惨剧就不可避免了。就是一旦医疗资源挤兑发生，医生护士开始感染，医院开始发生交互感染，那就会往意大利那个方向去了。所以后面这一两周非常关键了。而且欧盟封边境的那个决定也还是影响不了爱尔兰，这个事情也是非常扯。因为英国脱欧了，所以欧盟封边境的这个影响就不能包括英国。英国因为北爱尔兰跟爱尔兰接壤，他那个边境协定，反正脱欧就为了这个事情吵了很久嘛。就反正英国跟爱尔兰之间不能封边境，所以爱尔兰的旅行禁令就只能跟英国，不能跟欧洲。虽然爱尔兰是欧盟。我们还问他，政府对于戴口罩是怎样建议的？有建议不戴。他说，如果你是健康的话，戴了没有用啊。然后他说，如果你给小朋友戴，他戴了之后，把手在口罩外面乱摸，然后脱了口罩之后又去吃手什么的，就更危险。你们就不要戴了。爱尔兰政府对于出行有限制吗？人民有乖乖待在家里吗？他尤其强烈的是说，老年人和有基础疾病的人千万不要出去。然后为了这一点，他派了几千辆警车，就是专门为这些人运送物资啊、买菜啊什么的。但是这些没有一样是完全强制性的。你实在想要出去也可以啊。我们现在也看到，其实还是很多老年人满街去遛狗啊，聚在街头聊天。这个事情你你也没有办法。爱尔兰文化部。翻译的那个项目，其中一个诗人就是他，他是爱尔兰的国家诗人。后来他就跟我们家很要好，然后像这个时候，他还会就是说，哎，不如我们去公园坐一下，野餐一下，只要离离开一米以上就好了。我在想，<笑>你好高危，好不好？六十五岁了。Sara 是一位葡萄牙诗人，已出版五本诗集。二零一九年年底，因为临近产期，她只身从北京飞回葡萄牙，而丈夫留在北京。Sara 并没有对两小的诗歌进行直译，而是另创作了一首短诗《Pandemic》。Wash well the muscles of the poem. Disinfect the sun. Don't touch the face of the wind. Let the life warm up the sleeping child behind the mask. Keep a safe distance from fear. 对于两小的原作传达出的焦虑 ，Sarah 给出了自己的诠释。It reflects a lot of the collective feelings around the world at this moment. Washing your hands aggressively depicts the collective anxiety people around the world are feeling. In the other hand, being aggressive while washing your hands has a, a warlike tangibility. It shows a belligerent attitude. So, faced with survival circumstances, people turn to protect themselves. It's almost like going back to a state of savagery. And it reminded me of William Golding, Lord of the Flies, when there's this character Simon. He says, "Maybe there's a beast. Maybe it's only us." And I do like this quote a lot. I, I liked it before, and I think it applies to the circumstances because 
it is a real reflection of what fear really means, how fear can control us in a micro level as individuals and in a macro level as a sovereign state, international institutions, companies. And I think that he's referring to the evil that is inherent to human nature. So despite the trappings of modern society, man still retains the characteristics of the beasts he ostensibly fears. And fear has this thing, it can make us go tribal, allowing us to be manipulated. I think fear is a very strong tool. And at the tribal level, people are more emotional and consequently less logical. Tribalism is the biological loophole that many politicians have banked on for a long time, trapping into our fears and tribal instincts. And this relates with the pandemic because people can anticipate an economical crisis, uh, scarcity. And you can see around the world people hoarding groceries and then it's like the survival of the strongest. We can see that people that have money are stronger than people who doesn't have it. So it shows that the fittest, the most adapted are the ones with the conditions for survival. This also applies because the virus is actually being much more lethal in older people. So this feeling of survival of the strongest is more emphasized. 而对于他创作的《Pandemic》这首诗 ，Sarah 给出如下解释。In this case, I decided to write a poem as if in dialogue with the previous poem. In this poem, the one that I read, I'm writing in the tone we have read lately, like instructions, orientations. But then I'm inserting the physical elements we still see every day. We still see sunlight and we feel the wind. This virus feels like wind. We can't see it, but we know it can be deadly. As a small child, we feel an irrational fear of the boogeyman. You know, in Italy, there was this man that was saying that to describe what was happening to a child, he said that there's a boogeyman outside and you need to stay home. So this is a kind of uh, strong... Fear that people have, and they are already creating some kind of mythology around.、Um, but in the poem, my final advice is to keep away from the fear at least as much as we can, since it is inevitable to feel it. At least stay away from it. This is a brief explanation of the poem that I wrote. We also asked Sarah to clarify the following question: What does the song mean for you? Someone once said that all serious poetry is about death, and I think that doesn't mean the subject of death, but the acknowledgement of death. Paradoxically, this is so because poetry can only be about life, existence, and non-existence. The consciousness of death shapes poetry. So, to this situation, I think faced with fear and uncertainty, a situation that is out of control. People are confronted with the possibility of death. I believe that good poetry is incredibly useful in times like this. Times of isolation leads to times of solitude, and in an extended situation, because we might be isolated for a week, two weeks, but it can also be for months. The degree of social dissatisfaction might be very high, and we can talk about public health, politics, 
science, but we need a space to talk about feelings as well, the way we feel. And poetry can be that liberation. Poetry can be the key to collective sanity. Poetry in times of death is a way of embracing the darkness, accepting the situation, and keeping calm. 目前，葡萄牙政府和民众对于疫情是怎样应对的 ？Sarah 告诉我们，对于葡萄牙宣布全国进入紧急状态以应对疫情这一举措，不同政党虽达成了难得一见的共识，但他对此举的长期影响却表达了忧虑。At first stance, I think government and public institutions were calm and almost unimpressed with the virus and the pandemic. But then there was a crescendo day by day. Very soon they went from unimpressed to state of emergency. It's like people became gradually aware of the seriousness of the circumstances. I believe this is also because we love being a globalized world, but now we understand that there are threats that come with it as well. The state of emergency now is something very exclusive. It ne- it never happened in our country. People are thinking that this is very strange, and even though everyone agreed in the parliament, so all political parties, that, w- that there was a kind of unity that was very interesting to observe because usually they are fighting with each other, of course. So the ones that remain in power are, f- are fighting with the opposition. Opposition is fighting、uh, the parties in the government. But there was a kind of、uh, unity around this decision of declare a state of emergency. And、uh, this is also a bit scary for me because there are some freedoms that can totally be diminished with the circumstances and with this political declarance. And I believe that the politicians that we have nowadays in power are not like dictator-like, but this just starts a kind of、uh, precedent that I don't know how will be handled in in the future. The state of emergency here in Portugal has these characteristics of. Whatever the prime minister now writes is whatever is going to be issued as legal. So it, this means that whatever he writes right now has the power of being punished. For instance,、uh, limiting the ability to be outside your home. We are advised nowadays to stay at home, and this is a kind of recommendation. But when you pass to state of emergency, what happens is that now it is also possible that you will be legally prosecuted for doing this. So before it was just an advice, a recommendation, but now it can have legal consequences. They they have the authority to do it, and it is interesting because nowadays people are respecting a lot. But also, this is the first week we are. Kind of isolated, or that the social isolation is recommended. So I I think it is still pretty early, and everyone is obeying. I think people in Portugal they observed what happened in Italy and Spain, and they want to obey because they are scared. They are afraid that things just turn out as badly as it did in Italy, for instance, and people are obeying. But For how long will people obey? And and this is why I think they declared the state of emergency because we are pretty well behaved, let's say, compared to other countries around us. But the thing is, maybe this will take one week, maybe it will take two weeks, maybe just some months. And I believe that people will get fed up of being isolated, of having their movements being limited. 
Sarah 还不忘借刻板印象自嘲了一番。You know, it's our characteristic of Portuguese people to be late to everything. So the virus was also late. But I, I believe that because he came later, we learned from our neighbors. Because one thing was looking at China. China seems so far away, but then we see it like just on our doorstep, like、um, in Spain. So things became real, I think. From 对中国疫情的漠然到葡萄牙宣布进入紧急状态，这中间葡萄牙民众的心理发生了什么样的变化呢？ When we first heard about this coming from Wuhan, I remember that it was quite interesting because the media in Portugal didn't know how to pronounce the name of the city. They were always saying Wuhan or something, and I was like, "This is a different place. Why are they saying it like that?" So I think that the fact that they are not even sure about how to pronounce the city just shows the distance that they have, and that they feel it's somewhere. You know, it's just somewhere there in China. It's so far away. And then we heard about the extreme measures and the lockdowns, etc. And I believe that many people thought, okay, this is happening because you know it's a dictatorship and、um, this is an authoritarian way of doing things. But then, when it came to our societies, we thought that well. China is doing pretty well, actually. So we better just do the same. And this is like public opinion. This is not even like government orientations. 在葡萄牙有因为病毒引起的种族主义或恐华态度吗 ？I guess that the incidents here were not as bad as in France or other countries. I believe that the Portuguese people are a bit more. Quiet, but that doesn't mean they are more tolerant. And the、uh, the prejudice is still there, definitely. I know that many people don't go to the the Chinese people here have a、uh, small shops where they sell a lot of cheap stuff, and、uh, we call it the Chinese stores. It's only because of the outbreak. Everyone would go there, yeah, but just because of the outbreak. Those shops are kind of、uh, successful because there's a lot of different things and they are all very cheap and everybody goes there. But now because of the outbreak, people are just acting in this way. And I believe that there are some cases in which、uh, they cross the roads because there's an Asian in the sidewalk or something like that. But nowadays,、uh, you know, they realize well.、Uh, now they need also to be like this with the Italian. How will they know? Because they are not ethnic. The ethnicity is not different. So, <laughs> one lesson that we can learn from this is like、uh, you can be white and you can have coronavirus as well. We again asked about the mask question. Portuguese people, do they have We do need to think twice before just buying a bunch of them because it's、uh, being civilized not to do so. But if we have access to it, we don't mind wearing them. I mean, it's not common. It's maybe the first time I see people here in Portugal looking like the Chinese people. But you can see, like in the pharmacy, people public transportation. You see the driver of the bus is wearing it. So people that have the contact with many people, they are wearing it for protection. And we also think that if you are infected, you should use it because you are. 
going to protect people around you. But if you are not infected, don't buy them because they are scarce. There are only a few of them. Sarah 跟我们分享了她是如何带着七个月的身孕从北京飞回葡萄牙。她没想到，因为中国疫情的缘故，她的丈夫差一点就不能回葡萄牙见证他们第一个孩子的诞生。I've been pregnant、uh, since May last year, and I was doing all the prenatal、um, appointments in China in a public hospital in China. And I was about to have the child there in Beijing, and all my friends were like,、uh, "You're crazy! Why are you going to public hospital in China to have your child?" And、uh, I was like, "It's okay. I speak Mandarin, so it's fine. I can understand. I can read, and I trust the that you know medicine is the same everywhere. So I, I'm sure they can handle me just as well." But then. For some reason, my husband went to the embassy, Portuguese embassy in Beijing, to deal with his passport or something. And he mentioned that I was pregnant and we were having a kid. And they just advised us to come to Portugal. They said that because of legislation, we we have a kind of a slow bureaucracy、um, in Portugal. So they said that because of that, maybe I couldn't register my kid in China. In a legal time, and I didn't want to have a kid that was just born and was an illegal immigrant already. So、uh, yeah, then I decided, all right, I'm going back to Portugal, and I I flew with、um, seven months pregnancy. They still accepted me on the plane because I had、uh, something from the doctor stating that I could fly. And I came here, and、uh, my husband stayed in China. And I came for one month. I stayed here, and then I had the kid. I had an episode at the hospital because when I went to my my waters、uh, broke, and I went to the hospital, and I just、uh, called my husband and said, "You can fly," because he was in Beijing. So the deal was, as soon as I went to the hospital to have the kid, he would fly immediately to Portugal. So I was like, "All right, I'm staying here、uh, to have the kid. You can fly." And、uh, then they, the, the the directors of the hospital, the administration came to me to say that actually my husband can't come to visit me at the hospital because he's coming from China. <laughs> oh my God! And I was so upset. Like, oh really? And but but this was not as serious in Portugal yet. So the thing was like, okay, but it's coming from Beijing. It's not coming from Wuhan. I want to see the legislation about this. So I was having contractions. Can you imagine in my bed having contractions and reading legislation on my phone about the legal circumstances in which they could forbid my husband to come to see me? And、uh, then I found out that they didn't have reason to block him. I mean, if it was today, <laughs> they blocked everyone from entering hospitals. But by that time, I still had my reasons, so I just fought it. I was like feeling like、uh, having contractions and in labor, and、um, I was screaming to the doctors, "This is illegal! This is not constitutional! I will sue you!" Blah 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 blah. <laughs> you can imagine. And the next day, actually, they came to apologize, and they said that my husband could come to the hospital. But this was the beginning of the epidemic because then it became pandemic. Then we start having cases, and they just block everyone in hospitals 
from any visits so nobody could go and visit anyone he's in quarantine uh, in at home but right now uh, anyone who flies from outside need to go to government facilities so this changed but it was quite a painful process for him from the airport to his apartment it took like 11 hours waiting so it's so complicated oh my god and i don't know at this moment when will i see my husband again or when it, my husband is going to see his child because we are apart from each other and now it's forbidden from European Union citizens to fly outside the European Union and uh, they don't let people from China come in. 最后我们问曾在中国获得硕士学位的Sarah有什么想用中文说的话吗? 我要回家。我想中国。但是怎么办?现在情况真的不好,我不知道我应该做什么。<笑><笑><笑> Thank Sosu